Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Trundlebed Tales. And today we're going to be doing something just a little different. We're going to be talking about the L.M. Montgomery Museum uh, in Bala. But before we get to that, we have just a little bit of housekeeping. So I just want to remind you that if you want to call in and ask a question, or if you just want to listen as you're moving around so you don't have to stay chained to the computer, you can call in one of two ways. You can either call 714-242-5253, that's 714-242-5253, or toll free one 877 Six three three nine three eight nine. That's one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. Of course, you can also stream along, and if you want to, the chat room is now open. You can come on over and ask questions or make comments that way too. And as always, if you don't miss or if you don't hear an episode or you miss one, you can always go back and catch the archive either streaming through the website or you can download it in iTunes. So if you need something to listen to on the way to grandmother's house tomorrow, you can sure look down to or download that through iTunes and take it with you on your MP3 player. Now, uh I did want to let you know that uh we're going to be having an early December update because a couple of the Laura Home sites are going to be doing Christmas events, and I wanted to make sure everybody gets a head up, heads up about that. They're both going to be the first weekend in December, and it's going to be Mansell, Missouri, and um, Malone, New York. And there'll be more details on that when we do uh, this month's update. And I have some other speakers lined up, but I don't have any firm dates yet, so you'll have to be watching the web page and um, the Facebook page and the Twitter account to find out when those are going to be. And there is actually a real Facebook page now just for Trendlebed Tales. I started it last week, and I'm already up to 112 likes, so be sure to check that out too. Now, I think that's about all the housekeeping. So let's go ahead and bring our guests on. Hello, welcome to the program, Jack and Linda. Hi. Uh, hello there, uh, Sarah. Well, I'm so glad that you could join me today. As people who usually listen to this show know, uh, I tend to do a lot of focus episodes on Laura Ingalls Wilder and then things that are related to that. But from time to time, I like to bring in other people's, uh, other writers that I think people who like Laura will enjoy. So I'm really glad that you agreed to come in and talk to me about uh, Ellen Montgomery, who is uh, certainly a great writer in her own right. Mm-hmm. 
So let's start out. Why don't you go ahead and just kind of introduce yourselves and tell people a little bit about your background. Okay. Well, Jack is pointing to me. So my name is Linda Hutton, and um, I call myself a curator, um, although I don't really have any um, schooling to make me say that I'm a a curator, but uh, I'm a curator of our very own family-run museum, Ballas Museum, with memories of Lucy Maud Montgomery. And I guess I uh, walk around in Linda's shadow. Uh, we started the little museum in uh, 1992, and this followed a curious path. We were married in uh, June 1990 and honeymoon. Guess where? Prince Edward Island. I have to jump in here because Jack had been practicing up on his high school French and had really wanted to go to Paris. And when he asked me where we'd like to honeymoon, I suggested Prince Edward Island, and it just popped out of my mouth, and it was really um, sort of a God-given response. Having said that, we were 10 days in Prince Edward Island, and I returned with Linda back to our little town of Bala in Ontario and totally hooked on... Lucy Maud Montgomery, and guess what? We discovered that Lucy Maud Montgomery had been in a little town of Bala in 1922, only a two-week holiday, but she wrote a book called The Blue Castle, which is set in Muskoka, that's a district of Ontario, and that's right where we live. And the next thing we discovered was that the tourist home where they had their meals, and part of which inspired Maud to write the Blue Castle, was for sale, and that the person who had it for sale was possibly going to demolish it, the last link between our little town of Bala and Lucy Maud Montgomery. So to my amazement, I heard Linda say, stop. I said, what do you mean? She said, they can't tear that house down. Actually, he left something out. I was jumping up and down on the floor. The floor was jiggling so much because once we made this discovery. And uh, I said, we're going to buy it. And Jack could not believe his ears. So we bought it. Uh, Linda spent a year restoring it. It opened uh, July 24th, 1992, the 70th anniversary of coming to Bala. And the rest is history. The little museum is now at 120,000 people through, so many Japanese that we've had to translate the whole house. It has what we understand is maybe the best, the world's best collection of her books now. Um, anyway, that that's a little summary of where we're at. Uh, Okay. This was never meant so, to happen. How did you like that introduction, Sarah? That was <laughs> it was very complete. Um, I think you took out some of my questions, but we'll go oh, there. I you don't can re-ask them. That's okay. <laughs> well, I uh, I I don't blame you at all for wanting to go to Prince Edward Island, though, because that was actually my high school graduation present was that I wanted a trip oh. to Prince Edward Island. Oh, that's oh wonderful. wonderful! And I've been wanting to try and get back ever since, but I haven't <laughs> made it yet. And sadly, we just had our twenty fifth. Fifth anniversary for the class reunion, 
and I still haven't made it. So, oh, yeah. but I'll try and get back there someday. And now I guess I'm going to have to try and get to Bala too. Well, mm-hmm. let's just take a, a step back for a minute. So, uh, LM or, or Lucy Maud Montgomery is best known for Anna Green Gables. And as you mentioned, you had a great collection of the book. Uh, and she wrote a lot more than the Anna Green Gables series. So do you want to just sort of throw out some of her other titles to give people kind of a feeling of the range of what she wrote? Sure. Um, most people probably don't realize there's eight books in the series of Anne, the Anna Green Gables series. And they're not all called Anne. Actually, one is called... Rainbow Valley, and one is called Rilla of Ingleside. So, eight and books. And I, I just always tell people that Rilla of Ingleside uh-huh. is is the best home front World War II novel I have ever found anywhere. I may even go so far as to say it's the best home front novel period that I've found, but definitely for World War One. If you want to know what it was like in the World War One home front, I definitely recommend mm-hmm. you read Rilla of Ingleside. And on both sides of the border, both Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought of, of Rilla as almost a documentary. Mm-hmm. Even though it's, it's fictional, but it, it there's so much real and so many details. It. it really it's it's just incredibly well well documented, well. If you written. sit down and look at her diary, whole portions of her diary during World War One are in the book. That she her day to day life during World War One in the diary went into that book, so it's a very, very documented It it is. Uh, so, um, but I interrupted you. Some of the other titles that you wanted to mention? Well, there are three Emily books. They start off with Emily of New Moon. And we're kind of fond that, of that book because Maud was proofreading. And I, I use the name Maud because she never liked the name Lucy. She, she used her middle name. So Maud was proofreading Emily of New Moon from her British publishers while she was here in Bala. Oh, what a great connection. Yes, yes. So... So we in, have great fondness for home, which is now our museum. Yes. Mm-hmm. We know exactly where she sat. Oh, wow. And then, of course, there's two Pat books, Pat of Silver Bush and Mistress Pat. And then um, another fun book, Jane of Lantern Hill. And oh, we could go on and on. Magic for Marigold and how many? Well, I guess oh. there's... 22 altogether. Chronicles of Avonlea, Golden Road. Some of the books that uh, became the basis for the TV show, well, we called it Road to Avonlea in Canada, and I think you called it Avonlea on your side of the border. I think it depended if they were shortening it or not. But, yes, it was an excellent excellent series. Didn't really reflect necessarily too much on the, the, the books themselves, I didn't think, but Gus Pike and Felicity were such a great romance. Who cared? You mm-hmm. just went with it. <laughs> well, I, I think they did start them off to be following Golden Road and Chronicles of Avonlea and Story Girl, but after that, well, they, after so many episodes, they needed more. So well, and then that's they, when the other writers got involved. And even from the beginning, though, they they mashed together characters that were like other characters with people that you already knew on screen. Like they did a story, and they uh, one of my very favorite short stories is Quarantine at Alexander Abraham's. Oh yes, <laughs> which is a hoot. 
And they tried to do that episode, but to use Mrs. Rachel Lynn, and she suddenly was spouting Peter's catchphrases, and it, it just, <laughs> it, it, well, anyway, like I said, it, guess Pike, who cares? You go with it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, your particular interest, though, was in one of her books, which is one of my favorites, other than than the Anne ones, um, the Blue Castle. So, why don't you tell us just a little bit about that? Okay, do you want to do that, Jack? <laughs> Well, The Blue Castle, of course, uh, was her most rewritten book of all the books that she wrote. It's um, The amazing thing to us is that she was only in Bala for that holiday for two weeks. And the descriptions of Muskoka that she has from all seasons are right on, totally right on. Uh, probably the best descriptions of Muskoka that uh, all but a very few writers have ever written. Um, <clears throat> were you giving us a little uh, uh, shy introduction to a uh, request to give a synopsis of the Victorian plot? Oh, yes. well. We're not going to give anything away here. Oh, anyway, well. Let me leap right into that then. The... In the book, this was her first adult novel, as you realize. We have a love story taking place there, and it opens with a young girl, 29, uh, Valancy. And Valancy has been over-dominated by her family for her whole life and somehow puts up with it. But then suddenly she receives this note from a doctor. It turns out to be a mistake, but it informs her that she has a fatal heart ailment and she has a year to live. She reacts by kicking over the traces. She uh, <laughs> marries a young chap who's mysterious. Everyone says he must be a, a bank robber hiding there or a whatever. <clears throat> Barney. And as soon as Barney enters the story, the whole thing just takes off. They, <clears throat> she proposes to him, and they go off to live on an island in Lake Muskoka, which is called Lake Mistus in the book. And I guess I shouldn't give away too much of the plot, but it ends very happily. And, well, uh, well, it doesn't seem like it's going to because, you know, when you start out saying that right near the beginning you find out that the heroine is, is, has got a ter uh, terminal diagnosis, you don't think it's going to be a funny book. But it is just hilarious. And, and I think I think so many people can, can um, connect with that fear of the future because that's part of the reason why I think her family, she let them dominate her so much was because she had this terrible fear of being old, alone, and poor. And I think that's something that a lot of people today can can recognize and kind of understand it while it would guard her actions. And then once that fear was gone, she could sort of be herself. And I just... I, I, mean, I think you've hit on what Maude herself had, this fear that she was going to be alone and poor. Because as you know, Lucy Ma Montgomery did not marry until she was 36 years old. And she did not know that she could make a living by her pen, um, at least a, a good living by her pen at that point. And um, so uh, she may be married quickly because 
because she of that fear that Valancy had of being alone and penniless. And I think she really does. I'm sure she she probably did have it herself because she captures it so well. And and I just like to mention my favorite bit because I I just laugh out loud every time I get to it. it was because at the the dinner table and Valancy um, is sitting there and her aunt she said a couple strange things and her her aunt's trying to drag this conversation back to safe normal ground. And so she mentions that a neighbor has been bitten by a dog. <laughs> and the, the, some, the, another relative trying to back up the aunt says, well, where was she bitten? Oh, a little below oh, yeah. the Methodist church. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a reading here in Bala of the Blue Castle musical. Yes, and that was this, this past summer. And I had the honor of uh, being the pianist for the, the production, and Linda played Cousin Stickles. And she had that marvelous line, where was she bitten? Um, only in the play it's different, it's when, because I had to say, just below the Catholic Church. Oh. <laughs> Got great uh, guffaws uh, from the audience. Oh, oh but, it's, uh, a hilarious, it's a great bit. I mean, it's just it's just hilarious. I just love that part. Of it. But anyway. Let's put, so, this, uh, uh, let's put this in the historical uh, perspective of her life right there, uh, Sarah. Okay. That, uh, she came to Bala in 1922. She being Maud. She being Maud. So look at what just preceded that. She had had years of those lawsuits coming, you know, involving her publisher. Uh, there was the great uh, suspense about where the husband, Ewan, was going to wind up as a minister because they were talking about bringing all of the, a lot of the churches into some sort of a church union, which became the United Church of Canada. The She had uh, her best friend and kindred spirit had died just a year or two earlier, Freddie. And uh, so, and she had realized that Ewan was never going to get better. Ewan was going through a... a, a Manic depression, which is a terrible name, a religious melancholia. So they came to Bala, and she was aching going through all of this. She had just suffered a mini nervous breakdown herself. And what comes out of this, the, the story of the Blue Castle, in which Valancy, the heroine, does exactly what Maud wished she could do, escape marry the young man of her dreams and go off and live on an island. Pure escapism, the whole the whole novel. And it's exactly what uh, she wanted to do herself. In uh, February the 8th, if you take a look at the diary, she says, The Blue Castle, a little comedy for adults. I've enjoyed writing it very much. It seemed a refuge from the cares and worries of my real world. That was the whole background to the Blue Castle. I hope I haven't taken you off into another stream <laughs> oh, here. Linda no. and I have been living with this for so long. Well, that's why I wanted to get your guys' take on it, because I know you do live with it right there pretty much literally. So. Mm-hmm. We do. So I appreciate that. We look out a little island. We can look out the front window here right now at this moment, if it weren't so dark, and look at the island where Valancy and Barney could well have been. Oh, that would be just so cool. 
Oh, I got to get back to Canada. Well, <laughs> you know, I have my passport. Now, I have to I call my husband that. to let you ask us some questions, yes. Sarah. Uh, let me shut up here. <laughs> okay. Well, if uh, someone comes to visit your museum, what will they see? Well, when they arrive, we have uh, a wagon that could be very much Matthew's wagon that had, had gone to the station to pick up a little orphan boy right out front. And and when they come in, the, the children, we greet them and we costume them. So the, the costumes are very much like uh, Little House on the Prairie type costumes or Road to Avonlea costumes. So we have uh, dresses and hats for the little girls. And for boys, we have sailor shirts and sailor hats. And then they get a chance to sit in the wagon and have some photo opportunities. As they go through the museum, now it's always different depending on what the age group is. If we've got um, a a group of older people, it's a totally different focus. But um, I guess the most fun part is if we have children and we get to do the story with them. So... The first room is the kitchen, and my background is in home economics, and the kitchen is my favorite room in the museum. It's it's been restored to the 1920s. Oh, I love 1920s kitchens. Well, everybody out there, that's pine floors, lots of that lovely white. I just love it. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, a Hoosier. Oh, I love Hoosier. We have a Hoosier, so I think um, Canadians must have copied the Indian and cabinet makers with their name, Hoosiers, because we have Hoosiers in Canada as well. So we have a Canadian-built Hoosier in the kitchen, that whole baking. Do you have all, you have all the bits and bobs, like the little wheels and the, the bins and the little hanging rack thing? Yes, and, and oh. the, the sifter in the flour bin. Oh. And our oh. kitchen is electrified because our little town of Bala has waterfalls, and in 1914, the Ballow Power and Light Company was formed. And if you bought shares in that company, they would they would take a wire and go from tree to tree, attaching it until it got to your house, and you had hydroelectricity. So in our kitchen, we have an electric stove in beautiful colors of cream and green that works, and we have an electric refrigerator. It's a Frigidaire, and it's from 1925, and it works as well. Oh, wow. And on the kitchen table, so we have a metal kitchen table, we have... So wait a second. Is the, does the refrigerator have one of those, oh, what do they call it, like like no. the round part on top, the radiator no, That was called a monitor, and those were in the General Electric refrigerators, but mm-hmm. not Frigidaires. Okay. So ours is a flat top. <laughs> okay. But it's very much like modern fridges today. It, it it looks very much like a beautiful little cabinet with wood trim on the inside, by the way. Huh. On the kitchen table, I have all the things necessary to make a baked custard, and I go through that story with the children. We pretend we're Marilla and, and little helpers, and using little egg beaters and things like that, we make a custard. And then I have Marilla ask Anne to put it in the pantry and to make sure she covers it. Well, as you know, Anne forgot to cover the custard, Mm -hmm. and the mouse that lived in the little pantry got into that custard, and he must have enjoyed eating that custard very much. He must have thought he he had died and gone to heaven. Well, it was a romantic way to die for a mouse. 
Yes, well, <laughs> that little mouse was partly right because he did drown in the custard and he did go to heaven. So, um, so we we go we act all that out, and I even have a little plastic squeaky mouse that we can put in the custard, and the and the kids can have their pictures taken, squealing that there's a mouse in the custard. So, so as we go through the museum, we we do all the stories, um, including the the slate that gets uh cracked over Gilbert's head because we have a little classroom set up. We have I, a t- uh, that's, I was just saying, I love that story too because I know so many people who I think would have been better off for a crack on the head with a slate. <laughs> but <laughs> never happened. I, I, I always wondered why he didn't suffer a concussion though. <laughs> because slates are really, really hard. They are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, on our front porch we have a little tea table set up with uh, rosebud teacups and saucers and teapot and and creamer and sugar and and little fake I call them my everlasting cookies and a bottle of so called raspberry cordial with tumblers. <laughs> so we have another photo opportunity for for the kids to do that or even well we have lots of adults who love to do it too. And um just a chance to reacquaint people with the story if they don't know the story of Anna Green Gables. So what you're saying is I definitely should bring my sailor dress if I get to visit you. Oh, yes, you'd be great, <laughs> great in style. You haven't even mentioned the, the railway station. Oh, the railway crossing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Jack's reminding me that we, um, a number of years ago I found an antique railway crossing sign, you know, the style with a, mm-hmm. with a it's an X-shaped with mm-hmm. railway crossing written across it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he thought it was the craziest idea that we that I wanted to buy this, but we planted it in our backyard at the museum and put a bench in front of it. And then I searched for a wonderful carpet bag, and voila, we have Anne waiting at the station. So the children can wear the Anne hat with the braids and hold the carpet bag in their little costume and look wistfully about just looking for the cherry tree if they're going to stay there all night if no one comes to pick them up. So, then a short distance off. away in the yard is the skiff that sank beneath Anne when she was uh, playing the part of uh, the Lady of Shalott or Elaine, whichever way you look at it. We have the actual skiff that they use in the 1985 movie. How did you find that? We've had so many things that have come to us. We It's amazing. We have far more in our museum than they have at any other museum in Canada or the world, including Green Gables. We've uh, now he's talking about Lucy Maud Montgomery museums. Yes, yes, not other ones. No. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it come to this? Um, Kevin Sullivan, who, as you know, produced the movie, has a cottage in Muskoka, not too far from us. And so when he did that sequence, he went to one of our marinas and said. Uh, by any chance, if you've got a boat that won't float, <laughs> they said we have exactly the boat that won't float. You can put your fingers through the bottom of this boat. Uh, when Megan Follows visited us one summer and spent oh, about a month, I guess, in the area, she was amazed to find the boat, and she told us that when they were filming it, they had to have two chaps out of camera range at either end holding up the boat 
because it was sinking too fast for her to get the lines out. <laughs> so we keep telling this story over and over again. Uh, so as you gather, we've, we've almost been living with Maud and with Anne and this whole thing over these years. We feel as if uh, Maud is somewhere around the uh, museum, just around the corner from us. <laughs> well, I know what you mean. You, you do get a feeling like that after you you live with somebody's thoughts for so long. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, um, do you have any special events? Oh, do yes. we have special <laughs> events? Go ahead, Linda. Yeah. Well, July 24th is a really special day for us because that's the day in 1922 that Maud arrived in Bala. So we mark that day with um, a reenactment of, of Maud coming in an antique car and with her suitcases. Sometimes we even manage to scrounge up a, a couple of little boys to play the role of her sons. And lately we've been um, changing that day slightly to be more of a everything Anne day, and I guess that occurred at the 100th anniversary of the publishing of Anne. So in 2008, we decided to rename that day Everything Anne, and it was everything Anne would like to do if she was at her Sunday school picnic or having a wonderful afternoon. So we have uh, egg-on-a-spoon races for children and three-legged races and sack races and we have birthday cake and popcorn, and the kids can put costumes on if they like. And we also do the reenactment of Maud, so, followed by tours of the museum. So it's, it's a really, really fun day for families. Well, it's great that she can show up in an antique car. I have often thought that uh, when I'm dreaming crazy, because I don't have the money to do it, but I always think it would be so great if I could show up for when I'm doing one of the or- older Laura programs to show up in an old car. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that really is great that you, you actually can pull that part off. Well, as you gather, we've become rather obsessed about this, Sarah, and one of the things that happened was about 10 or 11 years ago, we became obsessed with the fact that the first Anne Green Gables movie was a silent movie, 1919, was totally lost. And so we've spent the last uh, almost 10 years just tracking down that lost movie, discovering where it was filmed. We've, we've been there twice in south of Boston. And... Thanks to a kindred spirit, we have a copy of the scenario from the Library of Congress. And thanks to other kindred spirits, we found at least one other version of the movie. Another script, which um, which it doesn't quite jive with the other one, so it's been interesting. Putting the two together. And as you know, we have recreated that old movie. Now okay, well... Before that's not easy to do when the movie has been either destroyed or just left to um, disintegrate. But as far as we know, it's officially lost. Okay, so, so let me let me interrupt you just for a second. Mm-hmm. Before we get too far in the recreation, why don't you tell us how you got interested in this particular version in the first place? Because I bet that there are a lot of at least casual and fans who don't even know this version ever existed. So how did you get on on its track 
Well, I guess we've always sort of known since we've had our museum that there had been a silent movie that was produced in 1919. And everybody has always sort of thought, gee, I wonder what it was like. There are a few references to it in Maud's diary. She hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she didn't like the actress Mary Miles Minter. She thought she was far too pretty and not her gingery Anne. Um, She didn't like the fact that in the movie a a skunk appears. And at that point in time, there were no skunks on Prince Edward Island. They're, They're not indigenous to Prince Edward Island. And she did not like the fact that, um, and forgive me if you're an American uh, listening today, um, she felt that the movie had been Yankee-fied because there was a an American flag flying over the Avonlea schoolhouse, and that um, made her very upset. So, um, so it's always been sort of in the back of our minds. What was what was but the, the movie original like? trigger? I think was the fact that we bought off eBay a piece of sheet music, which was the original sheet music written for that movie. And on the cover of the movie... Of the sheet music. Of the, you know, excuse me, not the movie, the sheet <laughs> music, was what they called Green Gables, and it bore no resemblance whatsoever to what is the familiar building in Prince Edward Island. This was a, a, a sprawling building in, in a couple of different buildings together with a hip roof and Linda with no gables at all no and you explain how you discovered the uh, this on eBay where it came from well um, well I have to tell you that I'm an eBay cruiser each morning that's uh, my my one of the first things I do in the day and I came across a, a postcard of that same building and on the back of it it said this is where I saw the movie Anna Green Gables being filmed, so it identified what the building was and where. Oh it was. wow! What a lucky find! It was, and the original building that they used is a building in Dedham, Massachusetts, and it's called the Fairbanks House. And they think it might have been built as early as 1636. So it's a pilgrim house. And so this this very, very old, old frame building, the oldest frame building in all of the United States, was used as Green Gables. So Jack has told you that we have taken a couple trips down to Dedham to see Fairbanks House, and it's um, it, it's right, it's, it's the right building. And um, we were hoping that the the curator of, of the Fairbanks Museum would be able to tell us lots about the movie, but it uh, was almost news to them, wasn't it, Jack? We told them <laughs> <laughs> about it and took them down to sheet music. And uh, so we we then began a search looking for old still pictures. Linda found them all over the place. There is one book published in 1920, maybe you've seen it, which is illustrated by still Photograph. picture photographs yeah. from the movie. And it, then it, that excuse me, well, that book actually had twenty two pictures from the movie in it. Some of which I wasn't absolutely sure were from the movie. They just look like pictures of Mary Miles Minter to me. And that's but now as uh, as the years go on <clears throat> I have figured out what those pictures would have been used for. 
But it, it was very, very tricky because the pictures that were in this Mary Miles Mentor Edition of Anna Green Gables, um, they had different captions to them than what I would have thought was right. And the costumes didn't look right or the age of Anne didn't look right. And um, I think the publisher, Mr. Page, L.C. Page, had a horrible time trying to fit these still pictures into the book because the movie differed so much from the original book. So he was sort of fudging it with different uh, um, captions under the picture to try and make it match what you were reading. So yes. that was the first big mystery we had. So I hear Jack clearing his throat and wanting to say something. Well, no, not that, but I'm just about to move over here. How would you like to be part of the movie, Sarah? Oh, that would be great. Just a little bit. Okay. Um, what I'm, we're just about to do is to move over. Yeah, we're we're very technical here. I'm going to carry the phone over to the piano. So that and uh, so, that so the sheet that. music was written, and uh, this is what you would have heard if you were at the movie. So you're sitting down, and you realize that all of the silent movie places had a piano player or an organist, usually piano player. And so Lucy Maud Montgomery in February 1920 went down to Adelaide Street in Toronto, went into a theater called uh, the Regency, sat down, and this is what she heard. This is the music. So the lights are going down. And you and your audience are just about to hear what Lucy Maud Montgomery heard. very lovely and uh, I, I so that think, came across all right did it yes I think it came across just fine good so anyway the uh, as you know the movie didn't last that long in the theaters the uh, it went through that year they were supposed to go to Australia it was supposed to go to England and then in the beginning of 1922 uh, in February, the producer, or the, excuse me, the director of the movie, William Desmond Taylor, was murdered in his Hollywood bungalow. Um, Mary wow. Mount Bender not not suspected of the movie, the movie, the murder at the time, but uh, they discovered love letters written from her, a 17-year-old uh, star, to this man who was old enough to be her father. And the public, 
just just horrified. How could Anne Green Gables this this virginal Anne Green Gables yes be having you know this we're convinced from our research and we've, we've talked to many people about this who are also writing a book about it. We're convinced that was all it was. Was just just a childhood fancy sort of. Yeah, there was nothing. We're convinced there was nothing further than that. But the tabloids invented a uh, a nightgown found there, which apparently I think existed in the imagination of the uh, the tabloid writer. Uh, that happens today too, doesn't it? <laughs> well, really, those those nineteen twenties tabloids though they really were vicious. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean the way they went after. I mean, they they basically destroyed Fatty Arbuckle too for something yeah, that that people are pretty before. sure he didn't do. Mm-hmm. So we agree with you on that. Anyway, she uh, her career just ended partially by her own uh, doing as well. She was ready to get out, and. Uh, the movie is destroyed. You could not find a copy of it. It was taken off the screens by uh, the, the, the Paramount Picture and its subsidiary company. Real Art. Yeah, yeah Real Art, which is a, a branch of Paramount. Although and, uh, I don't think that was the, as odd as it w- would be today, because today people are all about you know re-releases and and different home viewing formats. And I think back then, you know, it was sort of used see it in a movie theater or that's it. So they weren't really as aware of the value of holding on to things, I don't think. Anyway, that, that sort of disappeared and then these two crazy people from Bala, Ontario made it a crusade, <laughs> found the, the, the early scripts, put them together, found the music, um, spent 10 years putting this together and it one of the highlights, I think, Linda would agree, of our life so far, uh, was at the uh, in, in June of 2008. We had a, a special production of this in the evening. We presented it, and I was able to play a nine-foot Steinway Grand there at the University of Prince Edward Island. And that was our debut of the movie, mm-hmm. the recreation as well. And we've just actually. Do you mind a commercial plug here? We have just turned this out as a DVD. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and that was a so, great highlight. Uh, so uh, finally couple, bringing that co- back to life again. So a couple things about that. Uh, first off, the uh, you, you skip the part where you go around and give presentations of it now, right? Yes, so, we do. Yep. So, so if somebody wanted a live presentation of this movie, do mm-hmm. they just contact you or? That's How right. does that work? Mm-hmm. And hopefully they're not too far away from us, or we'll pay our airfare. We're still waiting to hear from Japan, of course, but that hasn't happened yet. But um, as long as we have a piano and a PowerPoint projector and a screen and microphones, we do a live presentation. So I won the, the PowerPoint, and although it's a silent movie, you wouldn't expect there to be any sound, but when... This is a collection of, of photographs that I've been able to find and put in the right order and figure out what the plot was. You don't always have enough pictures, so I have to take the voice parts of of the the actors. So um, so it's a silent movie with a difference, you might say. But it is fun, and it's about 45 minutes long. 
the people get the impression that they're watching a silent movie. It, uh, it's quite intriguing that we've, we've had standing ovations in Prince Edward Island, which was uh, oh very moving. So um, you had, and I had talked to you before about this, but so what you're doing now is uh, an expanded version of what's available on the DVD because that was an, an early production, mm-hmm. that, right? That was the original one in 2008 at the um, Lucy Maud Montgomery Conference at University of Prince Edward Island. But since then, we've um, we've added more, and I actually have written about 10 minutes more for the movie because it is it is. Um, well, it just keeps evolving because I have pictures, but I just haven't figured out where they go in the story or what was that all about. And then um, it might come to me. Sometimes it's just talking to somebody, and all of a sudden it just dawns on me, oh, I know how I can fit this in the story, so I do. That's been fun, yes. As you probably, I think you and I have chatted about this on email, uh, Sarah, the... I also play quite a bit of ragtime piano, and I've played three times. As a matter of fact, at your uh, at the Big Spiderback Festival, which isn't that far from you, I don't believe. No, it isn't. Just down the road a piece. Yes, and that uh, that was in the 1980s, and I've never. So I do uh, as part of the evenings we have. I do uh, a little mini a mini seminar on uh, silent movie piano. And I, I played the, the the music that was heard, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, uh, Mary Pickford, and all of this. And uh, so it, it's it's quite a fun evening. We do uh, we come right from the silent movie music right into that. So uh, anyway, that uh, a slippery slope. And can you believe this all started off with a honeymoon? <laughs> in, in Prince Edward Island. So, um, you're, uh, if they wanted to get the DVD, if somebody listening right now wants to get it, what do they have to do? Well, they can call us at our toll-free number, which is one triple eight five seven nine seven seven three nine. One triple eight five seven nine seven seven three nine, and. We'll get the information. We're happy to mail them out. The DVDs we have a special right now until uh, until the new year. They're fifteen dollars. That's uh, well, Canadian and American dollars are about the same right now. So that's fifteen dollars, and it's going to be about um, about two dollars and fifty cents mailing. So it'll probably be, well, we can do it for seventeen fifty for your uh, listeners, which is a little bit less than we do it for everybody else. Or they well, can also just take a look at uh, the web and put in Ballas Museum, and oh, rum, there it comes. Maybe we should spell Ballas. B-A-L-A apostrophe S Museum. M-U-S-E-U-M. Well, that, that's just great, and it's and I actually have the, the DVD, and I think it does a, a really nice job of kind of giving you um, sort of the feeling of what it was like uh, to see oh, a silent you. movie, and and it's it's <laughs> hard for people to 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 kind of put themselves in the mindset sometimes of 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 watching a different form of entertainment because I would say silent movies. And the experience of them, it's it's very different than, than talkies. It wasn't just that they added sound. They sort of 
uh, rethought the entire kind of process of, of what makes a movie. So it, it is a very different experience and one well worth having. And if well, what, you are, uh, what was the what movie won the Academy Award last year? Oh, uh, the artist. A silent mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So coming back in style. Isn't that intriguing? <laughs> the first movie to win the Academy Award was a silent movie. And in 2011, a silent movie once again did it. <laughs> it took all that time. So, um, yeah, we've talked about, about the, the movie. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your collection? Because, um, as you mentioned, it is a quite extensive one. So what kind of things do you collect? Um well, I guess our, our our favorite thing in the museum is a silver tea set, a sterling silver tea set that belonged to Lucy Maud Montgomery, and it's uh, it, it consists of a a teapot, a coffee pot, a cream, and a sugar, and that was donated to us by Lucy Maud Montgomery's grandson, David McDonald, and that mm. came to us on the first day we opened our museum, and. Uh, and we still have it 20 years later. Well, that so are is you wonderful. asking about the book, Sarah, or are you asking about our collection? Uh, about it, about anything that you collect, just trying to trying to give people a feeling of what they would would see and what you what you found. Well, in terms of books, let me just go into this for a second. The the crazy thing is when we started this, when we bought this the the old tourist home where she had been, to keep it from being torn down. At that moment, a year before we opened, we, I don't think we owned one book by Maud. And certainly not any first editions. No, certainly no first editions. We have, every time we are driving anywhere, if we go through a small town, anything that says uh, books, antiques, or junk, we stop. <laughs> Put the brakes on. <laughs> And our poor son, he's just, uh, you know, oh, my goodness, he says, you know, we've been in this town for an hour and haven't got to Tim Hortons yet because <laughs> we keep going into everyone. And it's amazing. Where Tim you... Hortons is a coffee shop. I'm not sure your listeners know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, we we keep finding in all these little places the most glorious finds. We bought... Uh, We've, we've bought first editions of uh, Rule of Ingleside. We got first edition for like three dollars in a you know in a little place with stuffed owls up on the the shelves and <laughs> and that sort of things. And uh, it, it's just amazing. So we and eBay, I think, is where Linda finds an awful lot of uh, things. She buys from uh, well an awful lot from Australia. Um, you name it, uh, in various parts of the world. We have uh, we have the uh, Watchmen and Other Poems with Maud's signature in it. But I, I think we should say, too, we have all the first editions. Um, and, and then once we set them up and we put them on a very high shelf, um, sort of at the height of a plate wheel would be around a room and then put a, a glass case around them, of course, because they're so valuable, then we decided that there were other very, very beautiful books and dust jackets, so we started to save by the different eras. 
So as you stand in that room and look on the three walls, you you see the progression of the book. So you you start off with the first edition of Anne and then Anne of Avonlea. And there's Anne looking very much like um, a Gibson girl with a pompadour hairdo. And then as you move along, you see some orange-covered books with dust jackets. And it's it's very obviously from the 1920s because Anne looks like a flapper in this. She looks like she's ready to dance the Charleston. And then you go along until you see the first Canadian editions of some of the books where Anne looks very much like Rosie the Riveter helping with the war effort, the <laughs> Second World War. And then we go through um, the 50s and the 60s and then flower children-looking books. So, so it's really... The 1970s. Yeah, so it's, it's almost a social history as you look at these dust jackets as you go around the room, just um, in women's fashions and, and what's happening in the world. Uh, so do you collect other things, too, or just the books? So um, I know there's... You name it. We have Anna Green Gables in Braille. <laughs> we, um, we we have downstairs... Um, well, I, well I, have, I have a whole room, actually, called Anne, Madly Off in All Directions. And that was inspired by the, the 100th anniversary of the publishing of Anna Green Gables. So we have everything in there that you could imagine... From from movies, and as you know, there was a 1930s movie as well, 1935 movie, Anna Green Gables, and the actress who was chosen to be Anne beat out Catherine Hepburn in the auditioning, and um, and her name was Don O'Day, and Don was so pleased with this that she went to a lawyer and asked that her name be changed to Anne with an E, Shirley. So um, not only do I have um, an Anne Shirley book from that oh. movie, I have an F&B Anne Shirley doll with human hair, beautiful red hair. Huh. The, um, um, yeah, the, I always find it really amazing because then she kept that as her professional name. So if you've ever seen... Mm-hmm. Stella Dallas, which is mm-hmm. yep. you know, on many people's greatest all time movie list, though it always just reduces me to a puddle. It's just so sad. But mm-hmm. um and Barbara Stanwyck is so amazing in that. But her daughter is played and there on the end credits it says by Anne Shirley. Yes. Yes, and she kept that name her entire life. So we even have the obituary notice for Anne Shirley with it. And the, and that obituary notice has a picture of her as Anna Green Gables. Wow. Um, I did have somebody chime in the, the chat room, Marilyn uh, Bryson, and she wanted to know if you collected first editions of any other books, like did you collect uh, first editions of the Little House books, she wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got into that. We're great admirers of... Uh, I think all my little house books are soft cover, but they're near my bed because um, I, I love those books too. Well, that's what we like to hear. Yes, but I don't have any first editions. No, but my goodness, the, the drama in there, we're getting into another uh, era here or not, but uh, once she gets outside the house in the winter and has to fight her way back to the storm. Through the blizzard. Through the blizzard, not even... <laughs> without the slightest idea of where she is. 
uh, they had ropes sitting there outside the house and tried to hang on to the ropes. But uh, heaven helped them if they let that go. And Oh, just... Uh, and there's a slice of real life, too, which... But this is a whole extra hour talking about that. <laughs> well, probably, and we are kind of coming up on the end. We've got, let's see, we've got, uh, oh, about four minutes left. So was there anything else that you wanted uh, to make sure that, that you got in talking about uh, Lucy or Lucy Maud or talking about um, your museum or anything else that we we didn't get covered? Well, I wanted to just say one other event we have, and that's in October. Now, we have our Canadian Thanksgiving much earlier than, than yours, which is just about to start, I guess. Yep. But um, in October, we have Canadian Thanksgiving, and the week after that, which is usually around October 17th, 18th, that in there, we have a cranberry festival in Bala because our little town is um, a very important cranberry-growing area probably the biggest in all of Ontario. And so we have a little festival, and we have a crayon and contest at the museum. So what would Anne look like if she came to the Cranberry Festival? So um, we've been doing this contest, I think, for 10 years now, Jack. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, it's really been fun. And this year we were almost reduced to tears because the little girl that ended up winning an eight-year-old girl, um, was asked the question by one of the judges. She just, The judge just felt this need to ask her this question, and it was, do you feel a connection with Anna Green Gables? And the little girl answered, well, I do, because I'm an orphan myself. So this eight-year-old girl had just lost her mother last December to breast cancer, and her father had died when she was small. And her grandfather died just last a year ago Thanksgiving, and she said, you know, Anne lost three people as well. She lost Matthew and her mother and her father. So so that was our Cran Anne winner. So uh, so it's 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 really interesting how our museum can touch lives. And it's amazing uh, getting, getting to your side of the border, Sarah. The We've had about 120,000 people coming through and it's amazing the the uh, the impact that that red-headed orphan from Prince Edward Island and Lucy Maud Montgomery have had on so many of them. And this very special lady, a teacher in Linda knows exactly who I'm going to mention, <laughs> yes. who came through our museum, I guess, about two years ago. We tried to stay in touch with her. So tell Sarah a little bit about her, Linda. Well, her name is Vera Toblin, Toblin, and she was a teacher in Michigan for 37 years, um, born in Canada, though, and married an American. And every year she promised her classes, when she first got her class at the beginning of September, that if they were good, she would read them Anne of Green Gables. So the kids just were good as gold, and she would read them Anne of Green Gables. So she read it 37 times out loud. <laughs> Knew the book backwards and forwards. <laughs> you and couldn't she, you couldn't start a sentence without her finishing an, an Anne twist to it. <laughs> she would be Linda in her 80s? 
Oh, I think she was just turning 90. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She went through our whole series of photo ops. So here was Verna, who, am I saying it right there, Linda? Yes, Verna, in her uh, late 80s or beginning 90s, posing with the hat with the red braids at the railway station <laughs> and also sitting down to have tea with her daughter as uh, Anne and Diana. And uh, she just had that love affair, the whole thing. Anyway, the if I was summarizing this, this crazy hour we've had, I think your your listeners can't help but agree, I guess, that isn't it remarkable that two people went to Prince Edward Island for a honeymoon and it totally, totally changed their lives. It has. And you know, the lovely thing, we wouldn't be talking to Sarah Utah if we hadn't gone on that honeymoon. That's right. Look what happens, eh? <laughs> Hallelujah. We've had this delightful hour all because we went on that honeymoon. That honeymoon was <laughs> Thank worthwhile, you, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. And, yeah, I think that was probably much better than Paris after all anyway. I think oh, so, too. Oh, it was, it was. <laughs> but I just have to finish with a little quote from Maud. March 10th, and this was uh, 19, this was just when she was finishing the book. Here's Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Blue Castle. I'm so sorry it is done. It has been for several months a daily escape from my world of intolerable realities. She loved the Blue Castle, and since then, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have, including us. So, thank you, Sarah. Well, you're very welcome, and anybody listening, if uh, all you if you haven't read any any Ella Montgomery, I started reading her because well, when the Kevin Sullivan show came out, I, I hadn't read her when I was real little. I was in high school because when the Kevin Sullivan movie came out, they advertised it as a cross between the Little House books and Rebecca's Sunnybrook Farm, and since I loved both those things, mm-hmm. I just was compelled to uh, to start reading it and. Um, I, I I don't know if I've quite gotten through all of them yet. I have all of them, and I think I've gotten through them all. Uh, but if you haven't read any, I highly recommend, uh, at the very least, that you read Anna Green Gables, Brilla of Ingleside, and The Blue Castle, because uh, those are my favorites, and <laughs> I think you'll get the most out of them. Um, and why don't you just one more time give people your toll-free number if they want to get a hold of you because they're interested in booking a show or they want the DVD or they want to get a chance to come and visit you in Bala. Okay. It's one 579 and we'd love to hear from them. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. I'm really glad we could get it worked out because I've been wanting to to talk about uh, her for a while and, and I think that the story of your museum is just so wonderful. I uh, I really appreciate it and uh, Jack, I hope you will appreciate. I'm going to uh, here in a second do uh, the theme song to play us out and that's me playing a song I wrote on the pump organ. So Very wonderful. <laughs> so you can be impressed for that. <laughs> and um, uh, to everybody else, I don't have any firm dates yet for future episodes so watch Facebook watch uh, my website and my blog or you can uh, actually get a 
log in for Blog Talk Radio and you'll get an email as soon as I get a new program scheduled. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jack and Linda. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to Trundle Bed Tales. Thank you, Sarah. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.